Feast or famine, highs or lows, ups or downs, the roller coaster of freelancing can be exhausting. If you've been doing it for any length of time, you're probably familiar with the fact that it feels like you either have way too much work that you can't do all on your own, or you have absolutely nothing and you're sweating wondering where your next project is coming from. But what if I told you it didn't have to be that way? What if I told you there was something you could put into place today in your web design business to keep you from going on the roller coaster ride of freelance web design? Hey, welcome to the Self-Made Web Designer Podcast. My name is Chris, and I am super excited to have you here with us this week. If you're new here, I just want to say welcome. I'm glad that you've decided to jump in with everybody else. If you've been here for a while, you're awesome. In this episode of the Self-Made Web Designer Podcast, I talk to a veteran in the business. His name is Josh Hall. And Josh outlines all the things that he's learned from a decade career of building a web design business that doesn't suffer from highs and lows, feast or famine. How does he do it? One word, actually two, maintenance packages. So Josh and I dive deep this week into all things maintenance plans as a web designer. We talk about the practicalities from the plugins that we use to how we communicate the value of maintenance packages to our clients on to how having maintenance packages will actually keep you at the forefront of your client's thoughts so that when they're ready to do something new on their website in the future, you are the first thought and the most logical decision to make. It's going to be a great episode. Before we dive in, have you signed up for the Web Designer Starter Kit course at selfmadewebdesigner.com? Over 2,000 people, 2,000, you heard that right, have been through this course. And in it, I outline for free all the steps that I took to go from knowing absolutely nothing about development and very little about design to having a full-fledged freelance web design side hustle that doubled the income of my full-time job while only working 18 extra hours a week. It's a fantastic course to go through. You get four emails with four videos where I lay out a blueprint for you to do the same exact thing that I have done. So take a second, go to selfmadewebdesigner.com and sign up today. All right, are you ready to hear about maintenance packages and a lot of other good stuff with Mr. Josh Hall? Okay, here we go. Well, Josh, thanks so much for being on this Self-Made Web Designer Podcast. Stoked to have you. Thanks for having me, Chris. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, I am Josh, and I am based in Columbus, Ohio with my family. I have a wife and two daughters and a hungry golden retriever. And I have been a web design professional for just over a decade at this point. Uh, I was a solo freelance web designer and then eventually scaled my business. And now I have a full-time personal brand at joshhall.co where I help other web designers learn how to build awesome sites and, and grow their own business. So to, to give you kind of a summary, uh, it sounds like my story, Chris, is pretty similar to you. I was in a band. I was a drummer in a rock band. And at that time, like after high school, 
I was also working as a cabinet maker at a tour bus customizing shop here in Columbus, Ohio. I uh, got to work on some cool buses. I got to work on Metallica's bus at one point. Johnny Cash's bus came through. Uh, so got to do some cool stuff there. And I was a, essentially a cabinet maker by day and a band guy at night. We were traveling you know, all, all across the Midwest here around Ohio and stuff. And then similar to you, uh, I started getting into graphic design, being in the band world. I started doing our artwork. And I'll never forget it. We were playing a festival one time. And somebody asked me, hey, how much would you charge to design our artwork and our T-shirts? And I thought, oh, I can actually make some money doing something I enjoy. So that's kind of how it all started for me. I was doing graphic design, learning Photoshop. Uh, I got laid off from my job as a cabinet maker in 2009 when the economy got hit really hard. And that's when I really dove into design and I started learning web as well. Uh, The church I was involved with at the time basically had nobody to run the website and they knew I did graphic design and they were like, Hey man, would you be interested in learning a little bit of web design and doing our website? And I was like, I guess I'll give, I'll give it a go. Uh, and that was in 2010 and the rest is history. I fell in love with web design and then I started doing freelance web design and I was doing night classes, uh, at my community college to learn more about graphics and web. And my whole intention was to get through that program and then to become a professional graphic and web designer at like an agency. Uh, but a couple years into it, doing that, I realized I was making pretty decent money on the side as, a, as kind of a freelancer. And I thought, you know what? What if I went for this thing full time? So uh, it was in 2013 when I just went for it for, for full time for my business. And uh, it's been awesome ever since. I ended up scaling the business uh, from that point, going from a solopreneur to a, to a legit kind of business owner for a while. And then I scaled it to the point where just recently, uh, as my personal brain here at joshhall.co took off uh, with teaching other web designers, I just recently sold my web design business and now focus on this full time. So uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Hopefully that's enough, but not too much to get us going here, man. Such an epic journey. I'm sure there was probably like a lot of ups and downs through the midst of it all. Was there ever a point in time where you felt like, this is too much, I need to hang it up, or I need to go work for somebody else after you had started, you know, essentially building a business from scratch? Yeah, that's a great question. The only time that I can recall where I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this like practically and financially was just before I really started going like full time with it before I made that decision. I think it was sometime in like 2012. I just, I had started getting some clients and doing things on the side, but I just got to the only dry patch I've ever had in business to where I just kind of ran out of projects. And I was like, I just don't know if I can continue to do this. Luckily, I was working other jobs on the side and stuff, and I was still going to night school. Um, But I decided, you know what, I'm going to stick with it. And then I just kind of got past that point. I got my next client, then I got my next one. And then the referral train started from there. And throughout my entire career as a web design professional and business owner, I was fortunate to never have that dry period again. And it just, uh, referrals kept coming. And then I started building my business and, um, yeah, happy to talk about, you know, all all the kinds of things I learned with that journey. Cause it was definitely, it's a, it was a journey and it still is a journey, but man, I just love the world, the wild world of web. So that's pretty unique to only have one season of, you know, essentially your whole business where you kind of run into a, a dry spot. I talked to so many people who experience ups and downs continuously. What do you contribute to the fact that you were able to stay consistent with the amount of business you were getting? 
I would say, because there are ebbs and flows, inevitably, just with any business, any industry, there are good seasons and bad seasons. With web design, the trick is, and the problem is kind of feast or famine. So you may have one month where you're working on a ton of projects that may carry over, but then you get those all wrapped up. Seems like they all wrap up at the same time pretty frequently. And then you've, you know, maybe you don't have as much for the next couple months. So it's really about spacing and staggering those. Um, we had talked about potentially talking about maintenance plans and building some recurring income. That was a big thing for me. That's what kind of ended that feast and famine. Uh, but overall, the way I avoided that was honestly just doing good work and making good connections with my clients. And then it just seemed like I was always getting referrals. Uh, I did get to a place in my business after a while where I realized I just could not continue to to do it myself, which is why I started scaling. But as a solopreneur for a handful of years, uh, yeah, it was really just about doing good work, staying consistent. And then there was a little bit of marketing and innovating. Those two, those are really the two keys that I feel like every business has to do. You've got to keep on marketing yourself and you've got to innovate your business. You've got to produce new things and keep on growing. Now, marketing for me was basically just networking. I've never been somebody being on ads or anything like that. I always, I was very involved with a networking group here locally in my town. And I always just relied on personal relationships and just really taking those to the next level. And that's kind of how all the referrals came to me for the first handful of years there. So most of the networking was, you know, essentially in your local city, your town or, or, or whatever. Yeah, right? exactly. And this is where I tell all my web design students to start is to start with your personal network, because a lot of people will start their business and dive into ads and spending a bunch of money when you have a potential gold gem in front of you with your personal network. And you never know not only are they running their own businesses and might need your services, but it's about who they know as well. So when I got started, I let everybody I know realize that I was doing web and graphic design. And so maybe you know them and their businesses didn't need me, but some somebody they knew did. Uh, so that's how it all kind of started for me, man. I just got the word out to everybody who was already in my network and already who know uh, who knew me, who liked me, and who trusted me. And I did some pro, uh, pro bono projects at first just to build a portfolio. And I did some work for my church. But yeah, it spread from there, man. I, I didn't overthink it. I just reached out to my personal network. And then pretty early on, I got involved with a, a networking group. And it was a business to business, like you meet once a week. And I know that intimidates a lot of web designers. It's different now with the pandemic stuff going on. But the cool thing is, is a lot of things are virtual, uh, which really, you know, web designers can shine in that world and learn to really just make good connections with local businesses. And as soon as I started doing that, man, that's when things really kind of blew up on, in the freelance, uh, just because it was good connections with businesses who wanted to help other businesses. Yeah. So how did you find that group and become a part of it? So I delayed in going to a networking group because of all the apprehensions that everyone feels. It's like, oh, I got to get out of my house. I got to go somewhere once a week. There's like some guidelines and rules to it. I just it didn't interest me too much. But I had a, one of my clients, their IT guy was working with me. And he had sent me a couple referrals. And he was like, hey, man, I'm in a networking group. And I think you get a lot of clients if you came to this because we don't have a web designer. And we're looking for, you know, like a lot of people have that need. So I went to it. And it ended up being really good. I got to meet a bunch of businesses. Now, it wasn't in my hometown. So I could join that one. But I found out through that same organization 
that somebody else was getting ready to start a group where I'm at. And so I talked with them and then I actually ended up founding that networking group. And uh, that's that's where a large percentage of my leads, probably at least 50% of my leads for for the better part of a decade came from was through that group and just everyone we knew, you know, through that group. Because the cool thing about any sort of networking or even like a chamber of commerce or something like that, anything that's business to business related is they become your sales force. So you're not in there to get leads from these 10 or 15 people. You're in there to make a name for yourself and you become their reference for all the businesses that they work with and know. So I was automatically opened up to like, you know, two or 300 maybe more businesses that would eventually hear about me. That's so key. And I think it's something that a, a lot of web designers, especially in the gig economy, don't really dial into is is the relationship factor. And, and we've talked about it a lot here on this podcast, but there's a book um, called Love is the Killer App that I, I just absolutely love, you know, that talks about the importance of making those connections and and looking at it not as I'm trying to use this person to get money, but I'm trying to give away my connections so that they can benefit. And, you know, what happens essentially is that it's impossible for that not to come back to you. And so you that's just one way that I think a lot of web designers are missing out on building something. Totally. Uh, that's funny you mentioned that book because one of the members in my networking group bought that for everybody. So I, I read that. It's a short, quick read. It's, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. It inspires me to revisit that because it's been a few years. But yeah, it really kind of nailed home the thought of the more you give, the more you get. And it's true in life in every area. And it's extra true in any sort of networking or just business growth if you can the cool thing about networking that i like is that you know you they become your sales force but then you're automatically connected with a great group of people ideally a great group of people who you can refer people back to as well and there's so much power in being a connector that i've found like if you can refer people even if it's even if it's within web design or outside of web design if you have people you can connect other people to it just elevates you to to a different status to where you just have a lot of leverage to use that for growing your own business. And you don't have to come across salesy. You can just be you and talk about what you know. And it's a great way. One of the biggest things that I realized was with web design, the cool thing about taking a more organic, personal, you know, step-by-step approach is that you don't have to be salesy. You also don't need to get a ton of clients every month. You can just invest in these relationships and the referrals will start to come. And it takes the pressure of needing to land like three or four clients a month when sometimes you could just land one or two and that's going to be fine because you're building your network and they're coming to you. So yeah, that was a big part, big aspect of me kind of making it in the early days. Yeah, I love that. And and taking it slow and and being patient, I think is such a crucial aspect to success because it sounds like, you know, you came to the point too, where, um, after a little bit of time, you, you couldn't do it all on your own and you had to start scaling, meaning bringing on people to help you out with projects. And I think you even brought your, your wife on the team to kind of help you out as, as well. And I think what happens a lot of people is if they try to grow too quickly, they're not really ready for that level of success and they can kind of implode and go backwards. Um, so talk a little bit about that process of getting to the point where it's not just you and you've got to bring other people to help. Yeah, that's a great point, man. Some people do. I, this is one thing I tell my students too, like, okay, let's say you do have an overnight, overnight success. What then? Like, are you, do you have the systems and processes in place? Do you have the bandwidth to take on 20 projects at once? Like, 
there, there is a point where you, you just can't do everything yourself. And for me, I was very happy and content being a solopreneur for a handful of years. Um, my wife and I got married in 2015. I was already about five years into my journey. And at that point, I was a pretty successful solopreneur, although I was already at the brink of where I was like, okay, I, I can't continue to do every single task myself. So I brought her on. She joined the business to do a lot of administrative. And then um, we had just started our website maintenance plan. So she was doing like reports every month and some stuff like that. And then there was a time, I, I still stayed a solopreneur, although I did start hiring out people like periodically to help out with stuff yeah, I either didn't want to do or wasn't good at or uh, you know, to help out with some aspects of the sites. And then there was a point, I think it was... Uh, 2000, like the beginning of 2018, where I had 23 projects. And I was like, it was just a huge, it was like the beginning of the year in 2018. It was because I found that a lot of companies want to start their projects in the beginning of the year. Usually they get stuff settled in. And then February is usually a boom for, for a lot of web design projects. And I was just like, how the heck am I going to do? How the heck am I going to manage 23 projects? Because it wasn't like these were all uh, they weren't all massive builds, but they were all decent-sized projects. So uh, I was fortunate at that point because I had already started joshhall.co. I had already started really building a big network of of uh, designers and stuff. And that's when somebody came to me. I, I did an interview series uh, asking people about how they scaled their web design businesses. And then my eventual full-time designer heard that series and just messaged me. and was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a designer coming up and I love your stuff. And I'd really love to to, you know, if you have any opportunities to do some work for you, if interested. And that ended up being a great fit. And he's the one who I brought on um, essentially full time as my lead designer. And what was really interesting about that was I decided to, I decided to scale my business right before my, my first daughter was born. And I don't know how much you've seen about this, Chris, but we, um, she was born and we ended up spending two months in the NICU, which is the newborn intensive care unit. And thank goodness that I had just started bringing on Jonathan, who was my lead designer, and that I had my website maintenance plan because there was no way I could have handled all those projects while you know going through that situation. So that I think it was in about it was like January and February when I had all those projects, and then I started working with my lead designer Jonathan and a couple other subcontractors. I got them working on a bunch of stuff. And that's when my daughter was born, and we had that NICU experience for that journey for two months. And uh, I essentially just oversaw all of them. I, I had to kind of cut down on new projects, and um, it's, you know, we were going to the hospital every day. Luckily, there was a Panera across the street, so I was able to work there. Uh, but I, I kind of scaled like right at the perfect time. Um, but so I was almost—I say that to say—I I was lucky that I had started to scale. But that situation forced me to just like. You know, unload some of my some of my workload. Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned how important the maintenance plans were in in the midst of that as well. And I think that's such a good strategy. And and we've kind of touched on it with a few uh, guests here before, but never really like taken a deep dive into it. Talk about that process. Talk about how you set up those plans, how you marketed them, you know, how you kept them going and so on and so forth. Yeah, I'll say this. I don't have many regrets in my journey so far, but the biggest one I do is not starting a website maintenance plan sooner because I didn't start mine until I think it was about 2015. Um, and 
again, it goes back to that feast and famine. When you're going project by project, inevitably you're going to have really good months and really bad months because they just never overlap perfectly typically. So I found that a website maintenance plan builds these two lovely words called recurring income. And that's there's a ton of different ways to set it up. I'll be happy to kind of share what I learned in the early days and what we do now. Um, but for me... I, so a little side story on how I decided to launch my maintenance plan. Um, when my wife and I were on our honeymoon, last day we were there in Mexico, sitting by the pool, and this guy was talking about WordPress. And I was like, oh, you do WordPress? And he's like, yeah, he was from the UK. We got to chatting and really hit it off. And then we connected after the honeymoon, and he had this idea of this maintenance plan for his agency. So we actually talked about partnering up and um, really got the gears turning it. We didn't end up partnering up for long, but it nonetheless planted the seed for me to manage my clients ongoing and have this recurring income. And I realized there's not only so much benefit for us as web designers, but there's also so many benefits and necessities for clients. Because my sites, when I got done with them previous to launching our maintenance plan, I did what every other designer did. We basically just send clients on their way and I would just cross my fingers hoping they wouldn't get hacked. And for any new designers listening to this, one of the biggest problems with not maintaining a site and updating all the plugins and the tools is that the biggest thing is you're susceptible to getting hacked because anything that's out of date needs to be patched and upgraded. And your client is more likely not going to do that. So you need to be the one. And I'd never trust or re recommend relying on hosting companies to do it. So the big thing for me was, you know, I had sites getting hacked. And then I also realized it's a great way to keep top of mind with clients because a lot of my clients would move on and then they'd forget about me or they just wouldn't work with me moving forward. And it wasn't anything personal. It's just, you're a busy business owner. If you don't think about it, you're just, you're not going to reach out to your web designer unless you need work. So I, I really thought about that and I decided to, to launch a maintenance plan and um, that's how it all started. It really started this amazing thing for me to where I was able to build that recurring income right out of the gate. And I was pretty fortunate because I already had a lot of clients up leading up to that point. So I launched my maintenance plan and got, I think, 20-some clients initially. Um, so it was a big boost. And then the really cool thing was the next month, I didn't have to keep on selling to them. It was automatic. I just had this money coming in. And maintenance plans are so profitable because you can charge whatever you want and you can work it out to whatever you want with doing updates and optimization and backups. And I'll talk about some tools you can do that with. Um, but the first taste of recurring income was amazing. And then the really cool thing was that it added more and more projects and side work for me because I was sending my, well, my wife was sending them a monthly report every month. And then they would be like, thanks so much for the report. By the way, we're interested in adding a few more pages. And then we could upsell and do some more work. So it just, there's so many loads of benefits to it. Um, that's kind of how it started in the early days. And I'm happy to answer any questions you have on that, Chris, with, you know, what the plan looked like originally as and how it morphed or wherever you want to take, wherever you want to take it from here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dive into that. Um, so talk about the, the practicalities of it all. Were, were you hosting on your own server? What were you charging? What did it look like from month to month as far as what you had to do per client on that? Yeah. So I, I use SiteGround for hosting. I've been with them since I think 2016 and it's been awesome. So with my maintenance plan, we decided to use a tool called ManageWP, which is what I still use and what my agency uses to this day. Um, and it's been awesome. There are some other ones out there too that are good as well. We just, I've stuck with Managed WP. And at first, I strictly just updated plugins. And the cool thing about Managed WP is not only 
is it dirt cheap? It's like crazy cheap, but it gives you all the tools to do a maintenance plan. The backups are there. The client reporting is there. It's all under one dashboard. You can have all of your sites in there and you can access them and update plugins globally across all sites. It's just, just a great tool. So I use that initially and I would have clients typically host on their own servers uh, or like have their own hosting on Bluehost or, or GoDaddy or SiteGround. Eventually, I realized that I was having all kinds of problems with clients choosing terrible hosting. Uh, and I'm not sure how you feel about this, Chris, but there are a lot of hosting companies like GoDaddy, like Bluehost, and some of these other ones that have just gone downhill, quite frankly. So I tried to get all of my clients into SiteGround. What I found that was really beneficial was to do hosting and maintenance together. It's something I wish I would have pushed from the early days because having a maintenance plan is great, but having a hosting and maintenance plan combined is even better because clients may leave a hosting plan. It doesn't happen frequently, but I have had some step away from the maintenance plan for whatever reason. Maybe they need to cut costs. Maybe they're just not interested anymore. Maybe they don't see the value. Uh, But I'll tell you what a client is not going to turn off or step away from. And that's the hosting for their website. So they're not going to turn off their website unless they go out of business. So I, I learned pretty early on to mix those two together. Do the, do the website hosting and the maintenance. And the cool thing about that is SiteGround and a lot of other hosting companies have reseller accounts and have all sorts of ways that you can host your client sites and you can do the maintenance. And the really cool thing about that for the clients is they don't have to worry about anything. You're just You're their guy or you're their girl. You are their web person. They pay you monthly, whatever you work that out to, and then you handle everything. Because uh, I was doing maintenance, and then I had problems with their host company, and then I had to get their hosting details. And uh, th- the only pain about doing anything like that is you're kind of the middleman with their hosting. However, I found that even the clients that had their own hosting, I was still the middleman. I was still getting the calls on why their domain was expired or why something wasn't working. Uh, so I just learned it's better just host and do the maintenance all together. Um, and for me, in the early days, the pricing for me looked like 59 bucks a month to do maintenance and then 75 a month to do hosting and maintenance. And then we would scale that up. If there was like an e-commerce site, I did those for 95. Uh, and then now, I mentioned I sold my agency a few months ago. However, I still do have some ownership in that agency. So I oversee the team oversee our processes and still work with them on everything we do for clients. Uh, and we have a couple of different packages and plans now that have higher tiers that include like a certain number of hours for content updates and stuff like that. Has there ever been any road bumps with clients as far as the maintenance packages that you've run into it? And how did you navigate through those? I wouldn't say road bumps per se. I mean, the cool thing about maintenance and hosting I just feel like it's needed. I mean, it's it's for web designers, it's the best way to build recurring stable income. It'll end that feast of famine. Like I said, it opens up all sorts of doors for new opportunities, keeps you on top of mind of your clients. And I think you asked previously, Chris, what the amount of work looked like month to month. It really wasn't that much work. Like I have the first course I ever built for web designers was a maintenance plan course. And it's because I was so passionate about how it helped me through our time in the NICU. Um, but one thing I share in there is like an update schedule. Like you can create when you do updates. Uh, one thing I'm really big on as far as managing ongoing work is to have, and this kind of gets into how you run your day, but it's to have some sort of time block for reactionary work. That way, if a client emails me and they say, Hey, my widget's down on a site, 
unless the site's broken or it's down or it's you know it's something detrimental, usually those updates can wait. So instead of being just tied to my email all day playing whack-a-mole, I'll just have a reactionary work block from like three to four every day. And that's when I know I can get caught up on those quick little tasks. And then sometimes if I don't have anything, cool, I've got that hour to do whatever I want to do. So um, that was really huge. The only like road bumps I, pers- I would say, um, I mean, it really wasn't. There was, there was many more road bumps without having maintenance and hosting because sites were getting hacked. It was a huge issue. Um, you know, there, yeah, there's really, I can't think of too many negative things with it. I mean, it's every once in a while you might update something and you might have something break or it goes down, but that's the cool thing about managed WP is there's restore points. You can, you know, there's loads of options with backups and stuff like that. And for the most part, it's been smooth sailing as far as us maintaining all of our tools. Uh, so yeah, I really can't think of too many, you know, negatives to it, man. That's great. It's a, it's a win-win. I'm, I'm interested to hear because I've had moderate success with maintenance packages. And so I wonder if it's me not pitching it right. And so I'd, I'd love to hear what the pitch looks like for you with a client whenever you're onboarding them into a maintenance. Sure. And I will say, man, I just, so I have a podcast as well. I just released an episode on selling website hosting and maintenance plans. It's episode 49. Maybe I can give that to you if you want to link it in the show notes, because for you and for anyone listening, I interview somebody who, who got 150 maintenance plans on their plan in two and a half years. It's a, an agency who's who colleagues of mine and they're just killing it. So um, we talk about it in detail in that episode, but one thing I realized in my experience was it has to be, it's, it's something that should be talked about fairly early on. You don't want to try, you don't want to get a, a, a lead and just hit them with a, a monthly, you know, charge right away, but you do have to let them know, you know, in order to build the website, Website hosting and, and maintenance is a huge aspect of ongoing. And the analogy I like to use for clients who just have no idea, which let's face it, most clients have no idea with domains or hosting or any of this stuff. It's very confusing. So for me, I tell them, like, I try to use this analogies as much as possible. We could build this beautiful website and view it like a house. You know, where, where are you going to put this website? Where are you going to put this house? If you're in a really nice neighborhood, it's going to be worth much more. It's going to function better. If you build a beautiful house and it's in a terrible, shady, scary neighborhood, it's not going to go well. You know, it's not going to have much value. It's just, you're not going to, there's a lot of problems with it. So that's how I like to explain hosting, which is why I tell them to stay clear of the super cheap hosting companies like GoDaddy and, and some of these other ones. Whereas SiteGround, it's a little more expensive, but it's not that much more expensive. It's also much more affordable than some of these other, you know, really high tier hosting, premium hosting companies. Um, so that's kind of one thing I explain and just let them know, you know, there's, apart from just the website design, there's also a lot of things that you need to think about with the site in order for it to be successful moving forward. So I always mention it initially. Now, I don't make people sign up if they don't want to do hosting and maintenance. We'll still build the site. However... One thing that I had and one thing that I talk about in that podcast episode I mentioned was having some sort of disclosure at the end of a project that basically says, you know, if you don't host with us or use our maintenance plan, you you are responsible for these things. Updates need to be, or excuse me, plugins need to be updated. WordPress needs to be updated. You're opening yourself up to hacks. You're not, your site is not going to be backed up. It's not going to be reported on. So there's a lot of things like that that clients would see and go, oh, I, you know, yeah, maybe I do want to do this. Apart from that, though, I definitely I'm not big on any sort of sales scare tactics. For me, 
It was at the end of a project coming in again with a maintenance plan. So they, you know, they knew we were going to talk about this. Um, and then really selling them on the reasons why, like why it's so important, but also what we're going to do for them, you know, ongoing to make sure we keep the site successful. And for me, one of the biggest sellers, apart from the optimization, the updates, the backups and the reporting is in those plans, I always I always offered up to an hour of updates and content for free. So if they wanted to use, you know, if they had updates, they wouldn't need to pay our higher hourly rate. They have an hour covered. Um, and that worked out really well for me because to be honest, there was only a handful of clients that ever did that. Now, if you have 50 clients on your plan, every single one of them is using those hours, that becomes a little bit of an issue and there's ways to work, work around that. But more often than not, you know, you might get a handful of clients that use that. And again, it's just a great way to add more work. If they have some updates and you use your hour, then you can say, you know, we're up on time this month. We can either, you know, save this work for next month or you can buy a retainer of hours and, and we can do that. So that's how I really built up my business as a solopreneur and managing a small team. And that goes back to what I said earlier with not having to get a ton of clients every month. If you have 20 really good clients on your maintenance plan and they're giving you more and more work, that takes the feast and famine out of it. And you can just continue to scale it. It's very manageable and it's very uh, scalable as well. Yeah, that's that's great insight. And I think something that makes, you know, getting into web design that much, that much more appealing, you know, because it becomes less of a, you know, money for time, but money for value and peace of mind and and the service that you're providing that, you know, people might not necessarily know how to navigate through, you know, for us, it's probably super easy, but for most folks, it's, it's something that they have to really kind of pivot and learn. Yeah. And that's, most clients don't want to do that. Like most clients don't want to be logging into their site. They have no idea how to update plugins or what most of my clients don't even know what WordPress is, you know, they just were their web person. So yeah, it's really, that's one of the biggest things. And I will say too, one thing I noticed with, um, with, clients who passed on the plan is they would come back for whatever reason. A lot of times they would need more work and it'd be a great chance to upsell the plan. But then also some clients, their sites would get hacked and we're like, well, you know, we told you. Uh, so we got a lot of clients that way as well. Any final words on maintenance plans or advice to offer people? Um, for maintenance plans, the biggest thing is I feel like you just got to remember it's a you know it's a big win for you as a web designer because you can build recurring income and it's, it produces a steady stream of work. But there's so many benefits for your clients too, and that's what you need to relay to them, because you become their trusted web person and you look after the hard work that you did on their website. And it's such a crucial part of their business, their website. So somebody needs to maintain that. And I found too, there's just a lot of value. And again, just being that person ongoing because. When you're a web designer, I realized early on, web design is not a quick one and done service like a lot of other industries are. Even if they decline your maintenance plan and they, you just build a website for them, at some point, you're going to hear from that client again, whether their site gets hacked or whether it goes down or whether they need to change or maybe you know they get somebody new in the business and then they're like, we should redesign our website. Who designed the website? And they're like, oh, who was that? Jimmy or Jeremy or Josh or somebody from like you know eight years ago. So you're gonna be involved in the future at some point. So it, I always tell clients, we're starting a relationship that's gonna last a long time. 
And it's also another reason why you don't need to get a ton of clients. You can invest, you know, in really good service for one client at a time. And that's how it builds. And then next thing you know, you got 20, 30, 40 clients for life. So let's pivot a little bit and talk uh, about what you used early on to to build your websites. Um, and I know that you're a big proponent of Divi, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who are familiar with it, but maybe kind of explain what Divi is and uh, your process and finding it and starting to use it. Yeah. So I'll start by saying I learned web design with Dreamweaver and hand coding websites. Like I mentioned, I think it was back in 2010 when I got into web. It was before WordPress really took off. And so I was doing hand-coded HTML websites. And then I heard about this thing called WordPress. I got to know it and I enjoyed using it. The problem in the early days, though, was I was going to these sites like Theme Forest and some of these other theme sites and finding a site that would, a WordPress theme that would look like something that my client wanted. So we'd pay, you know, 50, 60, 70 bucks for this one theme. Then I would try to build it. You know, if it was a medical office, I'd find a medical theme or something like that. Well, I was started subcontracting for this company in Columbus, just, just on the side, and they used this tool called Divi. And it was a WordPress theme, and it was kind of a blank slate. It was kind of just a, a one thing that you could customize the heck out of it to design it whatever you want. It did take me a couple months to come around to it, but then I remember I was working with another client, and I went back to ThemeForce, and I tried to find a theme, and I just had such a nightmare because I had to relearn themes over and over, all the different settings. And I was like, man... I should just use Divi for this. And then I realized I should just use Divi for this site. And then once I got used to how it's all set up and I got used to, in technical terms, the IDs and the classes, and as I started knowing, learning how to customize things more with CSS, I realized that I could pretty much build any type of site I wanted on Divi. And since 2014, I have not used another theme since Divi. So I know there's a lot of builders out there. There's Elementor, Beaver Builder, and some of these other ones. And that's fine. But for me, Divi has been like the rock of my of my business. And it's just, it's increased my design time in record time because I don't need to relearn anything. I already know how it's built. I can save my layouts and the, the way I like to do stuff. And this was huge, man, for scaling my business because when I brought Jonathan, my lead designer on, he already used Divi. He was already familiar with it. So he didn't need to learn a whole new system. He already knew Divi. I just showed him how I used it and the way I like to code stuff and what we do. And we took off from there. And it was also really crucial for updating our mate for our maintenance plan. You asked earlier about how much time it took. Well, I will say one reason it didn't take much time at all is because all of our sites were primarily Divi. There was only a handful of sites that we were managing that were uh, previous to Divi, uh, which that's very... Very interesting when you log back into a site that you did eight years ago and you realize how far you've come. Uh, but yeah, Divi just became the the tool that just made my life easier in so many ways. And the cool thing about Divi, Elegant Themes, which is the company that makes it, is very community-driven and user-customer-driven. So they're constantly updating it and innovating it in good ways. It's not overwhelming when they add to it. Uh, but the community around it, man, the community is amazing. That's honestly one of the biggest draws for me. That the Divi community is definitely something special, and it's where I made my name. Quite frankly, when I when I started this personal brand at JoshHall.co, the first thing I did was I started doing tutorials on Divi. I just shared little tricks and tips that I that I use and I knew, and that's how I built my YouTube channel. 
Um, and then I also did get connected with Elegant Themes and I became a, a blog author for Elegant Themes and I wrote for them for a handful of years. Uh, I just reached out to the content manager. I saw he li- he happened to live in Columbus. So I just Facebook messaged him and say, hey man, um, I'm a local Divi designer. I'd love to take you out for coffee and just kind of told him about my business. And he asked me if I'd be willing to contribute to the blog. Um, so that's kind of how I segued from being a, a freelance designer to becoming an authority in the Divi realm. Uh, and it's it's likely that if you search for Divi tutorials, you'll see one of my videos pop up at some point. Uh, I'm still trying to do more of those. I'm, I'm investing more in my podcasts and, and courses now, but I'm still you know heavily involved in the Divi community big time. It sounds like you know community was a big aspect in the reason for you kind of going down that road. I'm sure there are plenty of web designers out there who are weighing their different options, you know, cause there's, there's so much more now than when I first started and, and for sure when you first started as far as what is available to you. So what kind of things play into the factor of what web designers should be looking for when it comes to like a visual builder, like Divi or Elementor or whatever? That's a good question. So obviously I'm biased to Divi, but in any case, I would say, look at the company that makes it. How long have they been around? What kind of company are they? Are they like, you know, really big on innovating and pushing forward? Um, you know, do you feel reliable? Because the, the thing, the most important thing to remember, when you pick your tools, not only are they the tools for your company, but they're the tools for all of your clients' websites too. So it's a super, super important decision. Um, now that's having said that, Again, we do still have a few clients we manage and sites that we manage from when I designed them back in like 11 and 12 before Divi. And, um, you know, there are ways to revamp those. And a lot of times, some of those clients that I design sites for, I would circle around and say, listen, we use a whole new set of tools. The site's five years old. Are you guys interested in a redesign? And we'd end up redesigning the site with Divi. So that's that's a really cool option. You can always pivot and you can always change those tools. But it's a great question. You know, what you're looking for is something reliable not only the tool, but the company, again, because the company is the one that's, you know, are they going to be around in two or three or five years or 10 years? Or do you think they have it in them to to, to be the long, to be in the long game? Um, so for me, Elegant Themes was that. I used them before Divi because before Divi, they just produced, you know, themes you could, you could try out just like ThemeForest. So I knew they were reputable. Um, but again, and then the other aspect is the community. What is the community like? Divi, there's just something about the community that everyone is open. So many people are giving, they share code, they share their stuff. And I mean, WordPress is like that in general. I think the WordPress community is incredible and there's word camps and there's meetups. Um, but the cool thing about kind of niching to a certain tool is you have WordPress, which is, you know, millions of users or whatever, however many there are. But then you have like a smaller segment of that, which is Divi WordPress web designers. And that's kind of what I'm in. But I know Elementor and some of these other builders have similar growing communities. I can't speak on those because I'm just not a part of them. But for me, the Divi community was just, you know, it was a big seller. And to be honest, as everyone will find out when you're a solopreneur, particularly as a web design freelancer, it just gets dang lonely when you're working from home by yourself all the time. So having a community where you can get that, um, you know, community, I was going to say fellowship. It's kind of a funny word to think about with web design, but um, you, you know, you hear from other people, you share tricks. It's a really good chance to share your knowledge, but also gain a lot 
and kind of expedite your journey. Uh, it's also really good networking and a really great way to not only find work, but then again, to, to scale your business. Because for me, I didn't have to put a job ad out on Indeed. I just did, I did a series of interviews where I interviewed other Divi web designers and that brought me some really good people. So um, just a handful of things I can think about, you know, off the top of my head as to what you're looking for when choosing a tool. Yeah, that's awesome. And you can certainly tell that somebody has been a part of a church when they use words like fellowship. fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> are we all enjoying our web design fellowship today? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 those things come out of my mouth all the time to you. I'm like, wait, that's, this is not the right context for that word. And you know what's interesting too, what I will say, because in my experience, particularly as I've you know grown this brand and I've really expanded my network of web designers, I'm fascinated by how many people come from not only churches or different industries, but particularly musicians. Uh, there are a high level, a high amount of really good web designers and creatives who are come from the music world. So um, it's just a really cool thing just for web design in general. If you're thinking about getting into web design, I'm a big proponent of these different paths be making sex successful web designers because you don't need to go to a four-year college to be successful in web design. I actually am a firm believer that the people who go to a four-year college, four college degree are very far behind and they take things so much slower. And I've actually had several students come through my courses that say they've learned more from my courses in you know, a month or two than they did in four years in college. So I say all that to say, you know, if you're coming from a different industry into web design, awesome. Uh, particularly musicians. We just have a way of like tinkering with things and figuring stuff out. And uh, it's pretty cool to see that, you know, web design is just in WordPress. It's just a collection of awesome people from different industries. Absolutely. And I, I have a similar um, experience with a lot of people I know being in bands and then realizing the skills that they learned to promote their band were actually something that they could use to live off of rather than being a musician. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you don't make a lot of money from playing your guitar for somebody. Yeah. So, and that's uh, that's the great thing too, is your experience, no matter what it is, but particularly for musicians who are in bands is it's amazing how much trans that translates to web design, uh, whether it's, you know, mixing the creative process with business, but also working with other people and, um, you know, there's just so many things that translate to business and particularly web design. Because like I said, you're a musician, you're tinkering with stuff, you're experimenting, you're, you're fixing things that break with your instruments. And that is exactly what you do in web design on a daily basis. You just you experiment, you try something new, something breaks, you fix it, you figure stuff out. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool, man. That's awesome. Well, I've so appreciated you being on the self-made web designer podcast, such, such good insight. And, um, and I think there's a lot to chew on here. So super thankful for having you come share your, your journey. Well, thanks for having me on Chris. Yeah. I, when you reached out, I checked out your podcast. I've heard a few episodes so far and I've been a new fan. It looks like you've got some really good content growing and very excited for yourself, man. Uh, it's definitely the way to go. You don't have to, you don't have to be in the game for too long before you start sharing what you know, and it just opens up all kinds of doors. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. Hopefully this was some encouragement to folks, particularly if you're just getting started in web, it's, you know, it's a wild, big, crazy world that's changing constantly. But I think the really cool thing about web design, if I can just end with a final thought, is there's not a right or wrong way to go about it. Like there's so many different paths. There's so many different ways you can set up your business for what works for you. Like my business, when I got started, was completely different because 
I was single. I was living with my dad for the first few years. I didn't need too much. But as you know, I matured and grew. And as I got married, and now that I have two kids, my business needs to be well into the six figures to support me and my family. So the cool thing is web design can fit your life no matter where you are and what you're looking to do. And then as you evolve, so can your business. Yeah, that's great. So so tell us for anybody who's wanting to connect with you, where they can find you and how they can connect. Yeah, you can go to my website, which is joshhall.co. And that's kind of my hub for all of my content. I've got courses there, but I also 90% of my stuff is free. So you can look through tutorials. I've got a, a podcast as well, which I'll probably talk to you, Chris, about getting you on here pretty soon to share your story. Um, but yeah, I've got all kinds of content that is just based off of my experience with over a decade with building my business. And uh, I'm putting out more content now about what's going on recently where where I did sell it and, and kind of have some ownership of it. So uh, yeah, the journey continues, man. But yeah, joshhall.co, you can find me there. and I'd love to help anyone get started in their journey. That's awesome. One final question. Will you come back to the podcast later on and will you set up your drums and play for us? <laughs> Uh, I haven't packed away in the basement. I I do have a, a drum solo clip I'll, I'll send to you. Maybe, maybe yes. that'll do it. We'd have to do it between nap time since I work from home and we got the babies <laughs> napping, but uh, I'll consider it for sure. I can tell already that Josh is somebody that I, I'm going to be connected with for a long time in the future. He's such a great guy with such good information on how to build a thriving web design business. I, I hope that you benefited from it. I know that you have. Go ahead, check out joshhall.co and his podcast, The Josh Hall Web Design Show. I know that you're going to love it. And hey, again, we're going to do this next week with another great episode. I just want to say thank you again for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to sign up, subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, leave a rating. It'll go a long way in helping other people find this podcast and benefit from it as well. But until next week, Wednesday night, midnight, just remember, if you don't quit, you win. <laughs>